Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. You guys, I'm here. I'm glad you're here. For this is our uh, part four of our series that we have been in all month long, following His footsteps. We've been in this series, following His footsteps, uh, looking at the steps of Jesus and how we can do what He did and take the things that He did as a lesson for our lives. Last week on Easter Sunday. We followed his footsteps right out of the grave, and that was cool. And today we're finishing our series uh, by asking, what does it look like after this same Jesus who came out of the grave has now ascended to heaven? What does that look like that now he has called us to be the flesh and blood body of Christ, continuing to do the work of Jesus in the world today? I, I love how much... God, according to Scripture, God values flesh and blood. He values flesh and blood. You know, we get the idea from some uh, religious circles that God doesn't like flesh and blood, like it's all dirty. He just wants us to be little spirits running around. But, you know, he values flesh and blood. You know, when God wanted to share his message to the world, when he wanted the world to really know what he is, John 1 tells us that the word became what? Flesh. Flesh, he, it became enfleshed and dwelt among us in the form of Jesus. Uh, and then when Jesus ascended, what happened? He said, you are going to be my flesh and blood body of Christ in the world. So God values the flesh and blood. And I think it's no accident that in the, in the New Testament, we are called the body of Christ. The body of Christ is this beautiful metaphor. This idea of the body, it's so cool, the, the, this descriptive phrase that the Apostle Paul uses to describe the church as this uh, sort of unified community, but we're all made up of different people with different roles to play within that community. And it was, it's a great metaphor, and it was a metaphor, Paul didn't even make it up. It was a, an established metaphor in Greek culture, in Greek philosophy, in their talk, the, the body, the idea of the body. So when he spoke that and used that, the people around him would have readily been able to go, oh, okay, I see what you're saying that, right? You might have heard the phrase, the body politic. Yeah, that was a, that was a Greek uh, phrase to talk about this idea of a community made up of people from all different backgrounds, all different places coming together, different roles to play for a unified purpose. There's a couple of things I really like about this body metaphor. A couple of things. I want to talk, I'm going to share two of them. And one of them is, is just something that's so personal to our church. The second is what we're really going to focus on today. But the first thing is the, this body metaphor celebrates diversity in the midst of unity. It really celebrates diversity in the midst of unity. We're very intentional about this at at Generations Church. If you come here very long, you hear us talking about how we serve together in unity, not uniformity. Unity, not uniformity. We're not all the same. We don't want you to look just like anybody else here. But we serve together for a common purpose. And the, the body metaphor reminds us, too, that making diversity work isn't isn't really, it's not, it's not a really a challenge to us. Uh, unity is not just a way of making diversity work, even though, you know, it, it might be hard. Diversity is innately necessary for the concept of a body, right? You have to have diversity. Different body parts doing different things is by definition what a body is. Our diversity is not like a challenge to overcome. We're not like, well, we're so different, so we'll, somehow we'll have to make that work. We're glad of that. We're glad that we are so different. We're not unified in spite of our diversity. Um, 
when we start becoming just, you know, too much alike, we're the worst for it. That's what we believe. And uh, so, and, and we're not just talking about physical things, you know, like race or ethnicity, which is important, which is awesome. It brings just a richness of, of, of uh, culture and backgrounds to us. But also, you know, uh, things like our, our background, where we came from, our tastes, you know, personality types, uh, you, know, uh, you know, what kind of music you like. Uh, you know, the, the Lord's really had to work on me. And th- there are people who like country and Western, and we receive those people. <laughs> we love them. There, there's a place for you at Generations. Um, we, make, we make place for cat lovers. And, you know, you're, you're welcome. There's a place for you. Um, <laughs> Country Western, cat lovers, Calvinists, you're all welcome here at, at Generations Church. Uh, we're, we're, it, we actually want the diversity. Uh, it makes us better because that's what a body is. It's not all just one body part. That would be really weird if we were all just a bunch of thumbs. Um, and then the second thing, the second thing I want to talk about, to, and this is really what we're going to dig down to today, is this body metaphor provides us a framework for a healthier form of self-esteem. It's, it provides us a healthy framework for self-esteem, and, and this is what we're going to focus on. You know, all of us want to feel good about ourselves, don't we? All of us like to feel good about ourselves. Uh, that's natural for us humans. And our default is for our self-esteem to come from what? What, what you've done, what you've been able to accomplish, Right, so if you did something, you feel a little better about yourself. Uh, if you were able to, you know, if you get out in the morning and you run around the block, you know, exercise a little bit or something like that, you feel like good all day. Boy, that's just a boost to the self-esteem. Uh, I hear I've never done it, but people tell me they feel good all day long after running. Um, uh, sometimes it's 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 how we f- measure up. Uh, physically or something, it's just some little goal we've given ourselves. We, you know, again, you know, Easter, we ate a lot on Easter. So we step on the scale, maybe you lost a couple pounds. Ah, that's a boost for your self-esteem, right? Just goes, goes up a little bit. Um, Or, you know, maybe how we measure up mentally compared to other people or behaviorally, but it's, it's all about how we, how we measure up compared to other people. Um, And it's totally understandable the problem is that it's so self-centered, isn't it? It's completely self-centered. It puts all the weight and the anxiety and the pressure of performing on us. And, uh, and it makes us the hero of our own story, this version of esteem, the source of esteem. What also happens is if we're not so good at something as, as we think we are, we can just lie to ourselves. We're very good. The human brain is just fantastic at lying to ourselves. And so we can tell, I can tell myself I'm, I'm much better looking than I actually am, you know, or my, my voice is much richer than it actually is. But then every time I see myself in a mirror, I'm like, oh, you know, oh, when did that happen? Or someone takes a picture of me on, you know, and it gets on Facebook, and I'm like, oh, I wasn't sucking in. That looks, all, that's not me, is it? Oh, well, all right. How many of you have heard your voice on a recording, right? Because you think you sound like James Earl Jones or something like that. And then you hear yourself and you're like, what? Oh, that can't be me, right? I think, I, I, I have to admit, I'm vain. So I, I think, okay, I sound this certain way. I sound like this. I must sound pretty, I sound okay. And then, you know, every week I hear my own recording and I'm like, oh, what is that guy going? Hello, welcome to church. How are you doing? <laughs> what is this? chipmunk from College Station. <laughs> we love Aggies too. You're welcome at Generations. Aggies also. God loves you too. Um, 
do I really sound like that? So, so we lie to ourselves. It's, the reason is because we lie to ourselves. And I've lied to myself, and I tell myself I sound a certain way. And I look the certain way, and then we see the reality, and we're like, oh, well, something's wrong. I'm not really, I don't really look like that. I don't really sound like that. That's a lot of pressure, isn't it? It's a lot of pressure we constantly put ourselves on. And let's face it, it's exhausting, isn't it? What if you could find your esteem not in how you compare yourself to other people. What if you could find your esteem in the body of people that you have the privilege of belonging to? What if that's where you found your esteem? In the body of people you have a privilege of belonging to. What if we said, this is a beautiful, this right here is this beautiful body of Christ doing amazing things around the planet, and I get to be a part of that? How cool is that? So we're going to talk about this way of thinking about ourselves and our place in the world. I think it's going to be really healing for a lot of folks today. I really do. And it'll be, it'll be healing for the church. Um, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be for a little while. And then we'll move to another scripture in a second. But Romans 12 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what he says. Paul, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church of Rome. And he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. That's how we're supposed to interact with each other and treat each other. Ultimately, that's the best metaphor. We're brothers and sisters. In view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, I love that. We should never lose sight of God's mercy. We should never get so high and mighty. I'm ahead and not the tail that we've like, I don't need any more mercy from God. We, every day, his mercy is new every day. Amen? Amen. In view of God's mercy, we keep that. We never lose sight of his mercy. Then what do we do? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. I've said before, it's one of my favorite oxymorons in the Bible, a living sacrifice. Uh, Notice here, though, it says, brothers and sisters, so all of you, brothers and sisters, offer your bodies, so that's plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. Many bodies, one living sacrifice, singular. So many bodies offered as one sacrifice. Together, we're offering these things that we have, these bodies of ours, and they become something that is one. Together we offer a sacrifice. And we offer our bodies. It's not just our spirits or our minds or our intentions or something like that. There's something, uh, how you actually physically move, he's telling us, in this world, how you serve other people around you, you do it together as a living sacrifice. You know, for Paul, when you look at his letters to the churches, and these are letters to us, for Paul, our spiritual growth and how we change the world around us, it was always comes from a communal perspective. He's always seeing things that way. He never sees himself as training, in the business of training, just a bunch of spiritual superstar individuals. That's not what Paul's school is all about. He is training a community. He's not training superstars to go out and save the world by themselves. It's always what can the church do together to offer our bodies as living, a living sacrifice. And he says, this is what? Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true 
and proper worship. Oh, I wish we had time to park there. Just talk about true and proper worship. This is your, we, we have a lot of talk. You know, we always, we all have opinions on worship and what, I wish worship was this, worship was that. Actually, he says, here's your true and proper worship. Li- living as a living sacrifice together. Coming together, sacrificing. Amen. Okay, that's for another week. Then he says this in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing is, is a continual verb. It's something we continue to do. We continue to renew our mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when we're walking in unity and community, there's something happening. We're going to have the right mindset. We're going to see God more clearly. We're going to know his will, and, and we're going to be transformed in our thinking. What does he say in verse 3? For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Boy, that's huge. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's crucifying for me. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Now, here's what's cool. In this verse, did a little study here. Paul uses in the Greek a form of the word to think four times in this same verse. Four times uses a form of this word to think. And in the Greek, it's this word phreneo, to think, to phreneo. And he uses it a couple times. And then he also uses the word hyperphreneo as well. And you can probably guess from the prefix there, that means to think highly, hyper, more, much more. And so what he says is don't hyperphreneo more than you should be phreneoing. Don't hyperphreneo more than you should. He says instead, here's what you should do is sophreneo. It's a different prefix there. Sophreneo, which means to think soundly or soberly. So it comes from the uh, a root sozo, which actually means safety. So to think safely, soundly, soberly. He says, don't be grounded in your thinking, or or do be grounded. Be grounded in your thinking about yourself. Don't lie to yourself, right? We don't have to lie to ourselves. Don't be puffed up. And, you know, don't don't walk around with some kind of drunken mythological version of yourself in your mind, you know, where you're just like, check me out, I'm awesome, right? No, be sober-minded. Don't let your inner drunk take over. Be sober-minded. Think like a a sober person sane person in touch with reality. Some of us are kind of scared of reality, right? We don't want reality. But the thing is, realistic thinking is good because the truth is, the reality is, God loves you. That's the reality is He loves you, and you are part of a beautiful body. That's reality. You're part of a beautiful body. The, The beauty of who you are flourishes the most when you see yourself in Christ and in the body of Christ. That's when you flourish and you're not having to kid yourself about anything. Amen? Amen. Now, what makes this challenging for us is because we're human beings and we have a lot of funny little quirks. We tend to have a different reality, a version of reality, especially when it comes to thinking about ourselves as opposed to other people. There's a a well-established phenomenon in human beings you might have heard of called attribution theory. Attribution theory. So uh, you might have heard it referred to as self-serving bias. And so we're kind of biased when it comes to ourselves. This is kind of psychology 101 stuff, but the nutshell of it is this. We attribute to ourselves 
better motivations for things than we do for other people. We attribute to ourselves better motivations. So the struggles that I have, I have good explanations for them. Uh, I can really explain them easily. The struggles that you have are just your fault. Those are your fault. You're just not a good person. Uh, so uh, are you overweight? Well, that's because you overeat. You're a lazy bum. Uh, right. Am I fat? I have a metabolism issue. Right? Uh, it's genetic, you should know. And I'm big boned also. Right? Um, did you fail that test at, you know, in school last week? Students? Well, you're a lazy bum. You should have... You uh, studied a little harder, shouldn't you? Yeah. Did I fail? Well, you don't understand what kind of week I had, right? And the professor has never been very clear in that class. And anyway, I think I'm a little too creative for that class. I'm really, I'm not wired for standardized testing. Um, I just, yeah, I'm so smart. I get bored there. Um, do you have a screaming child at the supermarket? You're a bad parent, right? You're just, you're just not good at parenting, are you? You really don't know what you're doing, right? Do I have a screaming child? I have a bad child. <laughs> you don't know what it's like to raise this strong-willed child. Anyway, he's very creative in other ways, and, and I'm, I'm doing something. You don't understand. It's a challenge. Don't judge me. Don't judge me, right? Did you cut me off in traffic? Did you cut me off in traffic? You had the nerve to try to get in front of me when we're getting on the freeway. You just jumped in front of me. How dare you? You wait in line like everybody else. You were nothing special. How dare you do that? Did I cut you off? You don't understand. I'm late for work, right? I'm late for work. And anyway, I've got something very important to do. It's a little more important than all your little rules that you have for traffic. And we're all going to get there. So if you'll just chill out and let me do what you ought to let me do and just cut in front of you, right? Man, people just get so uptight, right? You've all done this. You're all looking at me like, I've never done that. I don't understand what he's talking about. We've all done it daily. All right, we do it all the time. And it's rooted in this need for us to feel better about ourselves. We never cut somebody off or jump in front of them in line and go, I'm a terrible person. We always do it because I needed to do that. And it's right for him to let me in, right? And part of this, part of this is, is judging my own behavior, my own motives less harshly than I judge others because we're constantly fighting for self-esteem. We're all fighting for self-esteem. So we lie to ourselves. The challenge is that this really starts from childhood. Um, you know, when it, it, we're not, and parents aren't really helping things uh, very much by the things that we tell our kids. Um, now, when we're little babies, we understand babies are born selfish, right? Babies aren't laying in the crib going, you know, mom's had a really hard day today. I think maybe I'll just not cry and let her sleep all night. I probably live if I just wait till the morning to have another drink of water. I'll be okay. No, babies don't think that. They're selfish, right? We understand that. We don't blame them for it. But when they grow up, you know, we want them to be a little more other-centric and, you know, think about other people like that. Um, uh, the problem is, though, they hit an age, and uh, instead of teaching them that their ultimate identity 
is found in Christ and in the body of Christ, we actually start to teach them what a lot of experts call the superhero myth. You might have heard of this, the superhero myth. It goes something like this. At some point in every child's age, you know, they're in a conversation with mom or dad, and there's always this question that we get from our kids. I've gotten it too. But what will I be when I grow up? What will I be? What could I be? When, and what does mom and dad end up saying? We say, well, honey, when you grow up, you can be, how do we finish that? Anything you want to be. That's what makes you a good parent. Anything you want to be, sweetie, whatever you want to be. If you have enough heart and enough soul and, and want to and you try hard, you can be anything you want to be. Exactly. Except it's a lie. It's a lie right? I mean, I wanted to be a bird. I did. I wanted to fly. I wanted to be a bird, and I got over that finally, and then I wanted to be black. I wanted to be Gary Coleman from Different Strokes, and I wanted a cool big brother named Willis, and I practiced every day. What you talking about, Willis? And I prayed, and I prayed, and every morning I get up, and I'm like, no, still pasty. It doesn't work. You can't be everything you want to be right? You can't be everything you want. John Bowen, he's this writer. uh, He wrote the book, Making Disciples Today. He says this, one of the most popular stories in our culture is the myth, you can be anything you want to be. Nothing in the Christian story would support this slogan. It's unrealistic and unkind. If that were true, there would be a lot fewer janitors and more astronauts, a lot more astronauts. Uh, not, Not that there's anything wrong with being a janitor. That's a noble profession, and we're happy for them. But, I mean, let's face it, every point in every child's life, we've thought about the astronaut dream, right? I I had it. Everybody has the astronaut dream. But for, for one thing, there are just very obvious limitations and giftings uh, that some of us are born with and some of us aren't. I remember in 1984, I was, I was a... I was a kid, 1984, and watching the Olympics. Do y'all remember the Summer Olympics, you older folks? Uh, the LA Olympics, right? And there were so many heroes that came out of those Olympics, and the gym, gymnastics was really big thing right there. And, and, and I, wanted, I decided I wanted to be a gymnast because they looked cool, man. Those gymnastic guys were like American heroes. They were like little short Captain America types, you know? And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be in gymnastics. I don't know why I just picked that. And then, uh, and so my parents were cool. They were like, all right. So they put me in gymnastics and I did that for, and then about a year later, my coach uh, had to come up to me and he said, uh, I hate to break it to you, string bean, but you're too tall. You've gotten too tall. I had this growth spurt over the year and you have no real muscle tissue to speak of. (laughs) So that was very disappointing. I thought I could be anything I wanted to be. Um, if you're born in a different country, you can't be president of America. That's just the fact. If you're too short, you probably won't play basketball in the NBA. If you hate math, you probably won't be good at accounting or engineering or something. Um, this guy, Bowen, he goes on to say, the idea that we're all born with an unlimited list of occupational p- possibilities to pursue is a heartless assertion to foist upon children, and it's a setup for adults. And that is so true, the setup for adults. Oh, my gosh. When we enter our young adult years, this is so common. We see, we see young adults filled with this, all this kind of stress. What do I do? Do I major in this or that? What do, what do, I, what do, do I take this job or that? What if I miss out on my superhero destiny, right? And then years later, we have this, 
midlife crisis. That's the midlife crisis all rooted in this because then we look back on our life and we say, my life is not the superhero dream that I thought it was supposed to be, so I need to revamp everything, right, and dye my hair and buy a Porsche and do something, you know, to recapture it. Instead, can I just suggest maybe a different conversation we could have with our kids, a different conversation about who they're going to be when they grow up. How about something that sounds kind of like this? Sweetie, you can become whatever your loving creator has gifted you to be. Amen. Follow Jesus. Let his spirit develop your unique character, your gifts, and your talents. And as you do, you'll grow and find your place as part of a wonderful family that loves you. A family that stretches all over the world and forward and backward through time. A family that will give you a place to serve and contribute something that God will use for his glory. What if that's the message we were giving our kids? That it's, you know, it's not all about you, but you do have the privilege of doing great things through the greatness of the body of Christ. What about that message? No, I know. I know some of you are, this just bristles against everything we're taught is to be good, good American parents, right? But it's possible if, we, if this was more of the message we were bringing our kids, we might make them, we might be setting them up for success. And we might not be raising little monsters that we foist on the world. Just possible, Right? So this is what Paul is driving towards when he says, don't hyperphreneo, right? Don't just indulge your ego. Instead, sophreneo, sophreneo. Think realistically. He goes on to say this in verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. This right here is one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other. That is a beautiful phrase. How, that's how intimate a connection this is to Paul. That we belong to each other. And in verse 6, he goes on to talk about all the different gifts that he's given. He gives to individuals for the, for the benefit of the church. And these gifts that I have to contribute, you know, they don't have to be the superhero version of anything. I don't got to be the, the very best at whatever it is God has gifted me to contribute. Because the little that I bring, here's what I learned in Scripture. The little that I bring, my loaves and fishes as it were becomes super when I put it in the master's hands. When I give it to him, when I present it to Jesus, when I present it to the body of Christ, because this is Jesus in the earth, then what I'm offering becomes eternal. And it takes on beautiful, huge proportions. Amen? Amen. Amen. I love this body metaphor, and it's timeless too. The body, you know, it worked 2,000 years ago, and it works for us today. It's just a great metaphor. But I was thinking the other day, what would the Apostle Paul possibly use as a metaphor to describe us if he were writing today? We might think of more of a technological metaphor. And uh, I heard someone, I didn't make this up, someone once compared the body of Christ to the pixels that make up a television screen. The pixels, you know, you know, when you look at a television screen, it's made up of all these pixels. And it really sparks them. And I was like, that is brilliant. That is brilliant. Because an individual pixel 
on screens, it does a very small job, right? And the pixel, you could just imagine being a pixel and you're there, we're all together. Okay, we're all doing our job. Here we are. You ready, guys? Here we go. And you're shining. And you're looking at the faces of people back at you. And you're looking at their faces and you're like, look at the impact that we're making on these people. Look at the impact, and, and we're connecting in some beautiful way. And look, I look on their faces, and I see joy and sadness and anguish and excitement, and I'm seeing all these things. We, we must be pretty special. We must be pretty special. But you know, that pixel might also think, you know what? I think they need more of me. Look, they're having a good time, but they can have a better time. They need more of me. This is my time to shine. And that pixel flares up in a brilliant, bright light and says, isn't this awesome? Right? Isn't this awesome? Don't you love even more of me? The thing is, what do you call a TV screen that has a flaring pixel? Broken. That's a broken screen. That's not, it's a distraction, right? That, that pixel is actually making the viewing experience worse by drawing attention to itself in a way that it doesn't have to if it, were, if it were just a healthy, fulfilled pixel. But what if the pixel came up with a different idea and he thought, you know what, I don't really matter. There's a lot of us on this screen. I don't matter. I'm just going to quit. Instead of shining, I'm just going to opt out. I'm going to fizzle away, go dark. Well, a dark pixel doesn't help the screen either. We call that broken right? It's still broken in a different way, and it takes away from the experience. We have that one little dark spot on the screen. So what's healthy? What's healthy is actually each of us functioning as part of the whole in a way that we all get to communicate to the world. And this is the message throughout the New Testament, that together we are communicating good news, good news to the world. We do it and we tell this beautiful story. It's a good news story. And that you can actually touch hearts and touch lives and we get to do it together. We get to do it together. And some of us are, are raising our kids to be flaring pixels, right? And that's the identity that we're encouraging uh, them to shoot for. And then what happens is they hit some point and they realize the dream's not happening and they become a fizzling pixel. And, and some of us, that's, that's been your story. Some people here maybe. Some of us have either been a, a flaring or a fizzling pixel. Sometimes we do both. It depends on the day. Sometimes it depends on the time of day, <laughs> right? We flare, we fizzle, we flare. You wake up flaring by lunchtime, you're fizzling, Right? <laughs> And you go to the gym or you listen to that motivational podcast and, you know, you get your makeup just right and you go out at night, you're flaring again. You go home, you're fizzling, you cry yourself to sleep on the pillow. Flaring, fizzling, back and forth, flaring, fizzling. We can spare ourselves this ridiculous cycle of seeking our esteem in comparison to other people by instead finding our esteem and our purpose in mission and in Christ and in the body in belonging to, to this group of other people. We can find our esteem in that. Now, some people, the question I get sometimes when we're talking about this is, some people will ask, it's a good question, aren't we supposed to be proud of ourselves? You know, be proud of yourself. We tell our kid, I'm proud of you. Aren't we supposed to be proud of ourselves? What's our, and our culture would say that to us, you should be proud of yourself. And my answer would be, well, yes and no. Because here's the thing. Scripture, Old and New Testament, when it, throughout it, 
almost always sees pride as a negative thing. Almost always sees it as a negative thing. There are a few exceptions we'll look at, but let's take a quick look. First of all, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is not proud. God is love, and we are to be reflections of God in the earth. He says, love is not proud. Love doesn't puff itself up. It's other-centered. Love is, that's just key. Uh, the Apostle James says in James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5, by the way, says the same thing. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So that, and that doesn't sound like a good place to be in the place where God's opposing you, right? So we should be humble. But now, so we're not to be a, a flaring pixel, but what's humble? Humility is not, I'm nothing but a fizzling dark pixel. That's not the right thing either, right? Humble is someone who is Sophroneo, sophroneo, right? Someone who's thinking in a sober way about their place in the body of Christ. They know who they are in Christ. And, and they know that they are here. They're working together with others. Now, when is pride a good thing? Is there any scriptures that say anything good about pride? Well, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1. He says almost the exact same thing as 2 Corinthians 10, 17. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So there is a kind of pride, but we boast in Jesus, right? Now, what is, how is Jesus doing his work today? He's doing his, his work today through the body of Christ. So the Apostle Paul is all, also able to say this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I boast about you, talking to the church. I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we can boast in the Lord and we can boast in the church that is the Lord's body. So here's two scriptural ways we, we can boast. And, and here, notice Paul's talking to the church. The you here is a plural word. The yous are plural. So here's the key. We can find our identity in Christ. Then if, if, we, if we do that, then we can receive our self-esteem from Christ. If we find our identity in Christ and really understand that, we can receive that esteem. We find it in Christ. And we don't have to try and lie to ourselves anymore. We don't got to suck in or lower our voice. <laughs> we don't have to tell ourselves how awesome we are because we are wonderfully loved by God. You are wonderfully loved by God. Amen. It has nothing to do with what you've done. You are just loved by God. And our awesomeness is found in the awesome opportunity to, to, have, to be a part of, of something much greater, something much grander, more beautiful than we are by ourselves. That is where awesomeness is found. And then look here how the, the writer of Hebrews says, we actually all play a part in helping each other have a healthy esteem. The writer says in chapter 10, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So, you know, even in the first century, there were folks who were saying, you know what, I'm spiritual. I'm plenty spiritual. I don't need everybody. I got, I got enough friends. I don't really need church. I just need, you know, I can walk in the woods and feel God, have my quiet time with God, and I feel so in tune with that. And it's just so narcissistic. Amen. And it was the same way in Paul's day. 
There were people like that in his day too, right? It's so narcissistic. I'm glad you're having such a, an awesome spiritual experience by yourself. That's great. But the thing is, we need you. We need you, Amen. right? We, we've, we've got a story to tell and we need you. And actually you need us probably more than you realize. We need each other. We need each other so that we can be a complete body accomplishing great things together. And then he says, but rather we should be meeting together and encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So edifying one another, building one another up. Edifying and building. So basically we get to play a part in each other's lives. Surprise, it all comes back to relationship, doesn't it? It always comes back to relationship. We get to play a part. So let us say no to this thinking that my self-worth is what I've accomplished in life. Let's say no to that and say yes to my self-esteem. It rather is found in being a contributing member of the beautiful body of Christ. Amen. Bringing my part to him, bringing what I have and allowing him to multiply it to feed thousands because that's what Jesus is in the business of doing. And we can say, that is, that's my life in the body of Christ. That's where I need to find my self-image, my esteem. Today, before we go, I just want to do a little mental exercise, mental exercise for us. If you would just close your eyes for a couple of minutes, I want to do this little exercise of our imagination together. With your eyes closed, I just want you to think about your own experience here at Generations Church. The people that you interact with, the people that are you consider your your intimate church family. It might be your home life group that you interact with every week that you connect to the most, or maybe it's just the people that you say hi to and chat with on Sunday morning or you sit around. Maybe a volunteer team that you serve with and so you're, you link arms with them every week. But think about the faces that you fellowship with, that you accomplish things together. And now just allow your heart to be filled with gratitude. Allow your heart to be filled with gratitude, a sense of privilege that you get to do life in partnership with these beautiful people doing things together for the Lord. Let your boast be in them. Let your boast be in the Lord and what he is doing through his church. And now with your eyes still closed, Kind of zoom out a little bit. Think about your extended church family here at Generations, all the other folks. Maybe you don't get a chance to really know them that well, but you see them here. And you know they're up to good things. There's other ministries and groups that you might not be a part of personally, but you know that they're full of brothers and sisters. They're walking together. Lots of small groups, volunteer teams from all over town. They're working together and doing good things. And they're making a huge difference on people's lives. Let your boast, let your joy be in the fact that you get to be a part of that. You're a part of that tribe. And now we're going to zoom out a little further to other life-giving churches in our community and in other towns, other cities around the country. And then think about the churches that you've been a part of establishing Throughout the world, the 100 Club churches, our brothers and sisters in India, Kenya, Uganda, 
Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico. And then just keep zooming out and stretching to the whole body of Christ all around the world with all their, their very different traditions and the different denominations, that global church with all of its ways of doing church and representing Christ in the world today. And they're doing it with such diversity and beauty, reflecting all the different facets of God and his character. And you are a part of that. Let your boast be in them, your joy. Just the other day, we were talking to a brother from East Africa. We were encouraging each other and we were assuring each other, uh, just praying that we're praying for each other. And he was assuring us that they were praying for us right now in America. They're praying for us. And they're worshiping in these wonderful ways this morning and serving people around them who are so poor. And we're a part of that. That's our family. And I find my esteem there. And I feel so thankful. Think toward the Christians this morning living under communism in China. Think about our Christian brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka who just seven days ago they, over the last seven days, they've been grieving the martyrdom of hundreds of their own. And even as they grieve, so many of them have been telling the media, we want to forgive. We forgive the people who did this. And I get to say, that's my family. That's the body of Christ I belong to, and my boast is in that. Yeah, I'm proud. I'm proud of them. And I'm proud that I have the privilege to be a part of that, of belonging to that. This is freeing. This is beautiful. And it gives me a place and it gives me an identity. And now with your eyes still closed, let me just pray for us. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, first of all, we just repent. We repent how easy it is for us to become distracted and kind of follow that big, wide path of the world, to pick up all the slogans of the world and the sound bites and the memes and repeat those things to ourselves and repeat them to our kids. And we realize that we trap ourselves in this self-defeating cycle of pursuing esteem in destructive ways. And I thank you, God, that through Christ, you have freed us from that. You've freed us and you've given us a place to be who you've made us to be, to be the best version of ourselves that we can be in the body of Christ. And I ask that this week that we would live with just a new gratitude for the body, for the church, a new joy for the family of faith that you've called us into. And I pray that we might live lives, Lord, that honor you, that reflect you well. Help us, Lord, to commit daily to following in the footsteps of your Son. And in the name of the resurrected Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.